Uh, during my time away, um, I met up with uh, friends, uh, mostly in coffee shops in, in Namibia, um, ministers of my previous colleagues there, uh, people of different congregations. And I also um, watched movies, uh, specifically Christian movies. Uh, for instance, this one, Do You Believe? Uh, and there are two movies called uh, God is Not Dead, number one, and number two. But there was one central thing that came out in these movies, in my discussions with my friends and with my colleagues there. And this was the question that we almost always asked. What was the impact that we have on the world around us? What's the influence we have? And it took me back to the beginning of my Christian life as a teenager. I remember the excitement when I committed my life to Christ as a young boy, knowing that my sins have been forgiven. The desire I had to learn more about God and to read Scripture. And many of the things that I can remember today as an adult is because I studied it when I was a child, studying God's Word. I remember the passion I had to speak to almost everyone I could speak to about the salvation that we receive in Christ Jesus. And then I began to wonder. And I asked myself this question, and, and we asked ourselves these questions. Where has it all gone? Why are so many of us on a spiritual diet taking in as little as possible, having minimum time with God, complaining, for instance, just if the service on a Sunday goes a little bit over an hour. And we of the Protestant Reformation, people who put the Word of God in the center of everything. What did you read last from Scripture? When did you open your Bible last? Why are we praying only when we're in trouble? Why do we allow our friends and family to go into eternity without knowing Christ? Without introducing them in Christ? 
Where has it all gone? Where has the passion in our lives gone? The excitement, the commitment. What impact do we have in our families, in our community? Because we call ourselves Christians. Or has it become just a term, a concept that means absolutely nothing? Micah speaks into this broken situation of his people. It's clear that the people lost their way somehow. There was a time when they served the Lord, but it's not the case anymore. God reminded them of his walk with them because now they have become a rotten community with no morals, no ethics, the priests, the political leaders, families, the religious community. Everything goes. It's fine. It doesn't matter what you do. It's okay. In chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. At night, he says in chapter 2, they thinking what evil they're going to do. And at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do so. They covet the fields of others. They seize the houses of other people. They defraud people. They rob them of their, their inheritance. God says that in their businesses, in chapter 6, there's dishonest scales. The rich people are violent. The people of the land are liars. That's the situation in which Micah speaks. The impact that they have in the community in which they live is clearly negative. It's not even neutral. Neutral is negative as well. But they have no integrity. They don't stand up for what they believe. Their lives do not match what God has given them. So why, why is this the case? Why do we lose our impact in society? There are two reasons according to this passage. The first is we easily forget God's grace in our lives. My people, he says in chapter 6, verse 5, remember. Remember. And what, what should they remember? Verse 4. I brought you out of Egypt 
and redeemed you from the land of slavery. The Lord has never burdened them. Actually, He liberated them. And if I think of a parallel in the New Testament, what we as Christians believe is that we were liberated from our sin, from the land of slavery. We are not slaves anymore, but free. God reminded His people of His intense love for them when He liberated them and gave them freedom. He says, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. In the Jewish Scriptures, in the Targum, Moses was the revealer of God's will in their lives so that they would not be uncertain of what lies in the future. Aaron was the priest that when they did something wrong, and sometimes he also led them astray, but he brought them back so that their sin and guilt could be forgiven. And Miriam was involved with the women. God never left them on their own. He guided them. He gave them His will, His word, His commandments, so that their lives should be filled with sense and meaning. My people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. They had to be cursed, but God prevented the curse in their lives and changed it into a blessing. From Numbers chapter 22 to 24, we read the story. As Christians, we, we confess that the curse of sin had to come upon us. But Galatians chapter 3 says that the curse came upon Christ. And it turned into a blessing in our lives. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. When you may know that you may know the righteous acts of God. Those two places were on both sides of the Jordan. It was leaving the old, moving into the promised land. And even there they committed sin. But God forgave them and gave them a new future. He fulfilled the promises. The parallel for us as Christians is that, that God brought us from the land of slavery into the promised land. We have hope. We have a future. We go somewhere. We know that we're going to God if we believe in Jesus Christ. But we forget that. We forget the fulfilled promises of God. In short, what God is saying to us and to them today is, do you remember? Do you remember the liberation, the freedom, the guidance that He gave you in your life? Do you, do you remember the forgiveness and the blessing, the new future that He handed to you as a free gift? 
God is faithful. He's always been faithful in your life. That's why you sit here today. It's like the heart of a father or a mother trying to understand what have I done wrong in your life that the passion is gone, that the commitment is gone. My people, he says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. As a Christian community, we come together on Sundays because this is the day of resurrection. This is the day when we celebrate that Christ has risen from the dead. This is also the day on which the Holy Spirit was given to the church on a Sunday. We come together because we celebrate that Christ has died for us and was raised to life. And somewhere on our journey, somewhere, I'm sure, in all of your journeys, we came to a point where we realized how deep, how deeply we need God and that we cannot live without Him. We discovered the deep wounds of our sin and that only Jesus could heal them. And we said yes to the Lord. What have I done to you then? Why do you lose the passion, the love, the commitment. Because the root of all sin is to forget. To forget God. That's the root of all sin. Secondly, we think that God is satisfied with, with substitutes. When God spoke to the people and, and they came to this realization that they have been wrong, they immediately start to negotiate with God. They knew they had a problem here. How are we going to solve this problem? They thought. They asked a few questions. So with what shall I come before the Lord. What will please the Lord? Will he, be, will he be pleased with all these sacrifices that I bring, with my free will offering, with my church going? Will it please him? They changed the covenant of God, the covenant of grace into a contract. If I do this, how will God respond? What will He do in turn? If you're rich to bring sacrifices, that's no problem. Countless streams of oil, as He refers to, is no issue. But did you see that, that all these things that they mention were external things? 
from outside their, their lives. Is this good? Is this what God wants? Can we say to God, take these things as a trade-off for loving you? It's like your wife tells you that she loves you because every morning she gives, she gives you breakfast and every day she gives you this and this and this. But I can't give you my heart. And the other way around, of course. James Mays says, the basic issue is always whether the offerings represented an event in the worshiper's life or left him untouched and actually wanted to change God. That's the main question. Why do we worship? Why do we read the Bible? Is it so that God could be satisfied with what we do? Or is it because God can change us from within to be more like Him? What is the solution then? God's word to the people actually changes now to the individual we read in chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He has shown it to you. It's, it's clear. You want to know what God's will for your life is? It's very clear. He says, and what does the, the Lord require of you? It's not an option here. God doesn't say, you can do it if you like. This is what I require of you. This is your response. This is the proper response to my grace. James Mays sums it up when he says, it's you, not something God wants. Not something outside you. It's you. God wants you. The total of you. And then he says, it means to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This is the key to giving yourself to God. Let's start with walk humbly with your God. This is the driving force that enables us to do the others. This is the source. This is where it comes from. God requires our hearts to become connected to His heart. That we would walk where He walks. That we would do what He does. It means that we should be open to God's guidance in our lives. And how can we be open if we don't hear Him speaking? when we don't read God's Word, when we don't study God's Word? How would we ever walk with God if we don't let us be guided? In Christian terms, it, it just simply means to follow Jesus, to walk behind Jesus. 
to give your life like he gave his life. Secondly, it's to act justly. It means that my activity, what I do, is not for my own personal advantage. It's not for my personal comfort. It's not for my desire to dominate, but to walk according to God's will. If we walk humbly with God, we resist everything that goes in against God's will. All attitudes, all lying and cheating and murdering and slandering and coveting and unfaithfulness. All the things written in the Ten Commandments. That's what it means to act justly. And to love mercy. If we walk humbly with God, if our hearts are connected with God, with His will, then we stand before God, not only with our offerings, but with our fellow human beings. Then we seek the restoration of relationships because His mercy restored the relationship with us so many times. I don't know if you've ever read something of Amy Carmichael, but she has a whole list of things that she writes down that if you do these things, you know nothing of Calvary love. And he, she, she wrote the following. If I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, then I know nothing of Calvary love. You see, God is a God of community, of fellowship with one another. God is a God that wants us to live in restored relationships with one another. He wants us, therefore, to walk with one another as we follow Jesus Christ. And if we take God seriously... We will not take ourselves too seriously. And our desires, and our desire also sometimes to dominate. Paul, Paul summarizes everything actually in Romans chapter 12 when he says that based on the grace and mercy of God, he says, based on the fact that Christ died for us, and took our sins away. Give yourself as a living sacrifice to God. The message translates it as follows. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. And quickly respond to it. Those who offer up themselves, not something, live under God's rule. We've had quite uh, a change in the political scene over the last few months here and also in America. And maybe you remember this face of President Jimmy Carter. Forty years ago, he became the president of the United States. 1977. And at his inauguration, he had his hand on the Bible. And the passage where it was open was Micah chapter 6. This very passage that we've read this morning. It was a change of government in the United States, but, but Jimmy Carter wanted to say that I'm under a different government. I accept that God is in control. And as president, Jimmy Carter prayed several times a day and professed that Jesus Christ was the driving force in his life. He is now 91 years old. You probably saw him at the inauguration. But he was greatly influenced by a sermon he heard as a young man. And it asked a simple question that we've all heard that became quite a well-known question. And, and this was the question, and it really changed his life. If you were arrested for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Look about, think about your life this morning, my life. If we were arrested today, will the people know from our life, from the way that we talk, the things that we do, that we're Christians and put us in prison for that. There's a change of government that should take place every day in our lives in which we submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord. Hans Walter Wolf says each morning we can celebrate a coronation festival in which the old Adam is dethroned and another ruler ascends to bear our Lord, the new Adam, Jesus Christ. So what's the impact you have in your family, in your friendships, Where's the passion in your life? 
Is it still there? That everybody should know that Jesus is the answer. That he's the only way to God. Let's pray together. Father, we cannot pick ourselves up by our shoelaces. As we sang earlier in this service, Lord, we need you. We need you every hour, every day. Come, Holy Spirit, transform our lives today. Transform me. Transform us so that we would have a real impact where we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.